0: Well, would you grab a Bible and do so, and then join us in the book of 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4, that's where we are this morning in our uh, study. We're working verse by verse through the book of 1 John on Sunday mornings, and we want you to be with us. So hopefully you brought a Bible. If you didn't, there's Bibles in front of you, and chairs in front of you, page number on the screen. Uh, You can use an electronic device. Uh, If you have a Bible app that works for you to follow along in that. But we, one way or another, are inviting you to have the Word of God open before you. That's true in here. That's true also in the overflow and online. Same invitation. Have the Bible. Join us so that God would speak to you this morning in, on, and through His Word. And so with that as our hope and need, I'm going to lead us in prayer. But as each time we do this, I'm longing that you would pray as well, that you would ask God to communicate to you what you need to hear from Him today. Father, right now we take a moment and your word is open before us. And in many ways, just wanting to open our hearts now before you. Would you help it to be so? Would you help us to hear from you? Would you take your word and cause us to understand? But in the midst of that understanding to receive. That which you have for each one of us. Give us ears to hear, eyes to see that which you have for us. Speak to us individually and and just effectively, transformatively. God, we seek that from you and your faithfulness. We do so together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The year was 1962. Uh, Carl Barth was on a speaking tour throughout the United States, visiting different colleges. And he'd gotten there to the University of Chicago. And in kind of a question and answer period afterwards, one of the students just asked him, If in all of his studies and all of the things, what was the Greatest thing that he'd ever really come to understand. What was the highest of things that he'd come to comprehend? Now, again, maybe you don't recognize. Like, who's Karl Barth? Well, uh, he's a a theologian, a a church historian who wrote extensively. Now, I want to be very careful because I want to just say this right off the bat: I don't actually agree with some of his conclusions, and so I don't want to make it sound like uh, that just because I've quoted him this morning that I do. I don't. It just in so many ways was such a good nugget for us to begin with that I felt like it was worth hearing. Because even for this, this man who who is Writing and all these things, and again, just very prolific in his writing, very deep in his understanding, making a big impact into church uh, history. Again, we just asked, So, what's the greatest thing? I mean, if you had to, if it was your one thing, was like the most, you know, wild or wonderful or, you know, the largest thing that you've ever comprehended? He says, Yes, I can tell you what it is. The largest thing that I've ever set my mind to is the simple song that I heard on my mother's knee Jesus loves me, this I know for the Bible tells me so, he would actually say that again several more times, and and he altogether meant it, and in one sense to say, here's this, you know, a guy who's a theologian thinking deeply, but he says the most profound reality I've ever begun to try to understand is that Jesus loves me. That song that for many of you moms, again, a good Mother's Day kind of beginning for us, you've sung that song, you've spoken that song over your your children, and yet it holds such incredible truth, such incredible weight that is bigger than anything that we've ever imagined. In fact, there's a poem that sometimes runs in my head. It was turned into a song around 1917, but it's the poem that sticks for me. And it simply says it this way, speaking of the love of God, it says the love of God is greater far than tongue or pen can ever tell. It goes beyond the highest star and it reaches to the lowest hell. It goes on to say, could we with ink the ocean fill and were the skies of parchment made, were every stalk on earth a quill and every man a scribe by trade to write the love of God above? would drain the ocean dry, nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. Wow. I don't know if that just lands with you. It does for me. It just kind of rolls across in my heart, and it says, that is so true. If we were to try to just wrap our minds around the love of God, it is bigger than anything we've ever imagined. Though if we could, you know, Do literally just fill the ocean with ink and say, okay, everybody start writing about the love of God. Though we drained the ocean dry, it would not yet still have even come close to expressing the wonder and the depth that is found in the love of God. And that is true. That's probably important for us to begin with because this morning that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about the love of God. And it's not as if we're going to fully comprehend the subject. It's not as if if we're going to say everything that can, could, or would be said about it. In fact, we're just going to note this. It's going to be a small scratch. (laughs) It's going to be a small scratch into the things that are there, but it's a needed one. Now, we dive into this this morning. And for you who have been with us in 1 John, it's also worth noting, we've already talked about this. In fact, depending on how you count it, it's either been three or four times three or four times so far in the book of First John, we've talked about the love of God and how that's meant to be known in and on and through our lives. And First John is laid out that way. It's not laid out in some kind of sequential way. It's kind of a circular thing. So you talk about something and you leave it and you come back to it and you leave it and you come back to it. And so it's good that way. It's as if we're saying again what we've said, but maybe through a different lens and different light. And it's a needed thing. It's a needed thing that we would so hear it. So let's gaze at what God would say to us this morning through it. You got your Bibles there. 1 John 4. We're going to cover two verses this morning, verses 7 and 8, so let's read those. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Wow. Hey, it was only two verses, and I like that you read it. Let's read it again, just because I wanted to roll over you again, so you just hear it one more time. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God, and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Wow. Some pretty incredible truths, and maybe you heard it in the midst of those verses, but the weight behind it, the, the for, the, the purpose, the reason that what's going to be held out to us in these verses exist is because of who God is, that it tells us there in verse 7 that love is of God, that it flows from God, that it flows, that he's the source of that, and then it ends in verse 8 telling us He is love, that God is love. Incredibly profound, incredibly great weight for you and I to kind of wrap our minds around this morning, this weight that goes behind all that we're seeing. And it's important that you gaze at it rightly. Understand this, the love that we're talking about here is the love that is only known in God, that is distinctively God's love by saying that it's of him that says that, you know, love is of God. The word the of there has the idea that it's belonging to him, that he and he alone is, is the source of that, so that if it comes of that, it's his love. Some of your versions will use the word from, because it's, a, it's found in that idea as well, that it's not just his, but he's the source of it. He's the only one that it can come from, that he's the only one that can have this and work this, that we're talking about something that is his love, that this love is from him, it is of him, because he is it, he is love. Now, that's an amazing thing, and yet, right there, we need to just pause and, and wrap our mind around some of the complexity that's found in that. Now, we're reading it in the English, but as many of you know, the New Testament wasn't written in English, it was written in Greek, and interestingly enough, there are four main word, Greek words that are used for love. Actually, there's a, a bunch more words in the Greek language uh, that are used for love, but four main ones uh, that are worth your understanding. Some of you have read C.S. Lewis, and you know he wrote a book called The Four Loves, a good book that talks about this in far greater detail than I'm going to, uh, but I want you just to highlight it for a moment. So the first love that was used primarily in the in the great culture is the word eros. Now eros is a word that speaks of uh, romantic or sexual love, where we get the word uh, you know uh, erotic from. But interestingly enough, it's never even used in the Bible. It's never used there. Now God would talk about intimacy. And he would talk about what that is, but it uses a different word because in God's ways it's different. And in some ways, by not even acknowledging this word in the, in the New Testament, it's kind of fascinating all by itself because ultimately, you know, this word eros is an incredibly selfish love. It's incredibly driven that way, and God just doesn't even acknowledge it, which I find it incredibly fascinating and good to know. But that's, again, other subjects that we'll just leave there. The second word that's used is the word Storge. And it's a word that speaks of family love or familiar love or the love that's found inside a family. Now, we're thinking about that this morning, right? I mean, this is Mother's Day. This is Mother's Day. So we're talking about a mother's love. And I want to tell you something. That's a good thing. I love the way it tells it to us in the book of James that every good gift comes down from God, that there's not anything that's good in our world that, you know, sin or Satan or the world ever created. God gave it. And so as we think about family and we think about the love that's in a family, I do want you to understand God created, that he's a part of that. But I also need to say this clearly. It's not the same thing as the love of God. And that's really important to maybe to say it this way, because I'll tell you this, I know it's going to be said in some churches this morning, that there are going to be churches that are going to say, you know, God's love is just like a mother's love, you know, and you know, mother's love and God, like you, you kind of are, and I just want to tell you, no, it's not. No, it's not. I mean, it's good. I mean, storge is a good love. It's a good, just connective love and family love, and it's a godly gift, but it's not the love of God. God's love is different and better and far more wonderful than in that sense that, but storge is a good thing. Then the next word that is used a bunch throughout the New Testament is the word phileo, and it's a friendship love, or a, uh, just a, a love that is embracing, a brotherly love, a like that would be there. And if we could gaze at this, most of what we would call love in our world would fall into this category. It's a, it's a, it's a like, it's a love, it's a love that is brotherly and, and friendly, and, and, and again, much that's in our world falls into this category, and again, not a bad thing. We're not looking at it and saying, well, that's bad. No, it's good. Everything is, you know, good is from God. That certainly is. But then there's the word agape, which is the word that's used in our text this morning. And for you who've heard that, you would recognize agape is the word that's used for God's love. Distinctively different, better, perfect love, unselfish love, the love that is defined, if you're looking for a good definition, in 1 Corinthians 13. You can go and read that later if you were so interested where he says, this is what that is. This is what his love looks like and, and what his love would be like. It, it's an incredible thing, but it's his love. And what our text is reminding us is that this love can't be found anywhere else. That this love is of God. That this agape love, it can't, it doesn't come from any other source in our world and can't be found in any other source. The love of God, the agape love of God, it is his and it's and it's and it's just found in him it is of him wow now you gaze at that that's important to begin to understand but as you gaze at it and try to understand that this is uniquely him and uniquely of him it's also important that you notice that it is it is him it's not just of him in other words he doesn't say you know God loves us, though that is true. And he does say that in other spaces. So don't hear me wrong, you know, for God so loves the world. John 3, 16, that, that's found there. But what he tells us here is it's not just something that God does, it is who he is. It's not just something that he accomplishes, it is inherent in his very person. It is inherent in his nature that when you understand God is, is love. I mean, that just needs to just land somehow. It just needs to land as big as it is. It is him that he is that. Yet, though we wrap our mind around it, just understand that you can't reverse it. It can't be said that love then is therefore God. Again, because love then becomes a whole different definition. It becomes something where we would then redefine God through our lens of love, and it's not so. Love doesn't define God. God God, God is the one who defines love. You, you can't limit him to this. Again, some would seek to do that, that they would look on this and in our world and our culture, seek to say, well, God is love, so anything that's not love, you know, he's not. And, and yet so many ways try to make that obscure his other attributes. God is love. But it's not the only statement that's made of his personality, of, of his person found in the scriptures. In fact, in chapter 2 of 1 John, he says, God is light, that he is, you know, that which is pure and that which is perfect. It would tell us in John 4 that he is spirit. It would read it in, in the book of Hebrews that God is a consuming fire, that he tells us that he is holy. He is all of these things. These are his nature. These are glimpses into who he is, and he is one without ever diminishing the other. And that becomes the danger when someone gets close to the understanding of the love of God. That can't take away anything else He is. It only adds to it. It only helps us to see the full picture of what He is, and you can't deny that. Kent Hughes said it well, maybe better than I am. And he says it this way: He says, "God is love, but love is not God. Love doesn't define God. God defines love. God cannot fall in love. He is love." God cannot fall in love for the same reason that water cannot get wet. It is wet. God is love and eternal action. It's not like God, it's who he is. It's what he is. He is love. It is his nature to be. It's his wonder to be. And he's calling us to see that so that when we see this, we understand that he is it. That he himself, he himself is love. That's powerful. I mean, again, we kind of began with the idea that there's no way we could comprehend that. That if we were to, you know, again, turn the the ocean into ink, we'd never be able to accomplish how big this is. But it's worth just noting right now, it is who he is. So how do we get closer to that? Well, here's been my struggle. So I was thinking about this this week and thinking about us talking about it. And one of the things that just was very clear to me as I was preparing for it is the problem is we're just not all in the same place. Uh, That there's a, if I could look at, at where you are with this, honestly, some are in entirely different spaces with the love of God. All of us are needing to grow in it. There isn't any one of us that's like, oh, I totally got that figured out. It's like, totally no, none of us are there, but we're wrong in different places. And so like you imagine it this way. I'd like you to think about it and and think about what what this is and think through, okay, well, if we could gaze at it and put love, God is love, like on a map and and say, okay, this is the the point on the map that you're needing to get to. And imagine however that works, however you, you know, use maps these days. For most of you, it's on your phone or something like that. And so you'd pull out, you know, Siri or you'd pull up Google Maps and you would either speak or say, hey, route me. And so imagine with me for a moment, you're saying, route me to the love of God like route me to the love of God. And what would happen is it would show you where you are and what direction you need to move to get there. I want you to kind of imagine that with me for a moment, that if we could look and say, okay, where are you and where do you need to move? And honestly, again, it's in very different spaces. So this is an oversimplification. I just want you to understand that. It's far more than this, but it's enough that will help us at least Kind of get close to it and maybe speak to the different spaces. But as much as you can, I'd like you to try to identify where you are with this. For some of you, you are in what we just want to call, it's not an original term with me, you're in this kind of sloppy agape space. Sloppy agape. Agape meaning, again, God's love. But there is this space, and maybe this is one of the cultural lies in our world today that there are those who take this and the love of God has become so pronounced and so profound and so just. Loosey goosey, so sloppy that it seems to override everything else. And so here's what's happened in our culture: there are Christians who will say, "You know, God is love. He is love," and I just can't imagine a loving God sending anybody to hell. And I just can't imagine, you know, love being having any problems with people. And so here's what we have: we have a rebellious culture that's living sinfully. And again, most of you know this, but you'll have. You know, marches, pride marches or sinful marches that celebrate, you know, just brokenness in our world. And the really weird thing, at most of those, if you're not aware of this, you know, you're just making you aware, at most of those, somebody will walk around with a sign and say, God is love. Isn't, isn't this great? Look at us living in rebellion, and God loves us in our rebellion. I think he's just, he's fine with us, and he's He's good with us, and there's this, almost this, like, oh, isn't this great? And, and, and many of them actually believe that, that they believe that somehow, you know, that God is embracing them, and they're fine, and all this, and in that sense, they get it entirely wrong, because they, they miss the reality that God is good, and God is holy, and God is sovereign, and, and, and God is just, and, and they allow this to define everything. So we have some that are going there, and, and in that weird space, we have, you know, some theological errors that are heading that way. We have some even within the, the worship world that we have right now that some worship leaders have kind of called, you know, some of the worship songs that are present today kind of Jesus is my boyfriend song. I think I've heard Royce <laughs> call it that way, and, you know, and it's this weird thing. It's like, what are you doing? but it's kind of redefining this into a place where it's making God something he's not. And it, and it's kind of going, and and, and it's a problem. It, it's a problem that has you know, an error that is dangerous, and, and just again, it misses who God is. So here's the thing. If this is you this morning, again, I'm not speaking judgment into it. I'm not trying to mock you if you're there, but I'm just telling you, if you're there, if you're that person that is kind of like, well, I have a hard time imagining God sending anybody to hell. It's like, well... Um, you've redefined God in your own image. Uh, You've decided that your version of love overrides his character and overrides his justice and overrides all that he says, and you're wrong. And so one of the things that needs to happen is that you need to say, okay, I see where I am, and I need to set my focus and say, I need to move towards a biblical view of the love of God. Uh, Not this worldly view, not this cultural view, but a place that says, okay, God is love. And if that's where you are, I'm inviting you to that journey. I'm inviting you to say, okay, see where you are and see where you need to go. But here's the weird way it works within our our, our Christian world. Some of you are there. You're in that place where you're kind of drawn to this, you know, sloppy agape kind of concept. But others, you're on the other end of the spectrum. Uh, You're kind of reactively, if I can say it that way, cold. Um, and, And it's not just reaction. But for some of you, partly you see the error that's in our world. You see this lie, you see the deceptions there, and you've kind of moved to the other end of it. And you're so much more comfortable talking about God and his holiness, and God and his sovereignty, and God and his power, and God and his justice. But somehow even just to hear that God is love, just to hear it, it's almost like, you know, little red flags go off. Like, you're just like, I don't, I don't like that. I just, you know, you could just, just go wrong with that. And i just tell you, there's a dangerous space to get there. There's a dangerous space where you're doing the same thing that you're reacting against. Again, see, I spoke to those who are over here in the sloppy agape, and I told you, you can't redefine God. You can't make him what he's not. You can't pick and choose where you say, well, I like God's love, but I don't like his holiness. You can't do that. That's redefining God. But if you're over on the other side, and you're doing the same thing, if you're like, well, God's holy, but I don't really like to talk about God being love. Well, you can't change it. You have no right to say that God isn't what he is. You have no right to, to move from the place of embracing that God is a God who doesn't just love, he is love. I don't know where you are with that. It might be help, helpful. I don't know if it's helpful. I might actually get myself in trouble. But um, just to talk a little bit about it, I have found myself at times moving in this camp. In fact, as we talk about it this morning, I've probably moved in all the camps. I mean, it's just that's, that's how my weird heart can work. Um, but I've definitely spent time here where at times I do get frustrated. I get frustrated with some of the weird things that people say, you know, that carry the signs at different marches or, you know, redefine and, and talk about how God's not sending people to hell. And I get frustrated with some of that. And so sometimes it can move me that way where I'm actually gone too far. And I can think about it. It was... I don't know, was it 10 years ago, uh, there was a, a really popular song, and some of you still love it, so don't get mad at me, um, you know, but it's, the, you know, kind of the song, and, and kind of the refrain of it is you know, oh, how he loves us so, and, and God loves us, it, it was a, it was kind of a weird song, I mean, if you ever, like, I mean, theologically, kind of, I mean, it's like, his love is like a sloppy wet kiss, and it's like, oh, you know what you do with that, that's just kind of weird, um, but let's just, so anyway, I, I just, it was not my favorite song, I mean, it was okay, you heard it, but at the back of my mind, it was not my favorite Um, but I was traveling about 10 years ago to uh, the Bible college, I think my daughter was there, I was going to see her, I can't remember if I was going for a conference or whatnot, but I can remember because I was driving, and somehow that song came on, and I couldn't change it, because you know, I was driving in California, and that just, you just don't take your hands off the wheel kind of deal, and so I couldn't, I couldn't adjust what was being played, and I was kind of just beginning the little thing that I do every now and it's like, I kind of like this, kind of don't like it, you know, and and it just happened. Uh, I don't know if this happens to you. It was just one of those moments where the presence of God just kind of descended in the car. And he was just there. And, and, and just in the midst of it. And he didn't speak audibly, but it was almost as if it was audibly. And he just asked me, Jim, do you believe that I love you? Do you really believe that I, that, I mean, you're, you're so reacting against this. You've gone too, I mean, I just, it was like, I've gone too far. i had gone too far that just to hear, oh, how he loves us it was like, but Jim, that's true. Jim, that, that part of this is true, and, and you've, you've, you've kind of tossed out the baby with the bathwater deal, and you need to come back. And I can remember just being moved to tears, and, and like, God, yeah, I, I, you're right, and, and needing to be drawn backwards, and just recognizing that I had gone into a place that isn't there. And for some of you, that's where you are, and you just need to say, okay, I, I get it. That's where I am. If I can't embrace, God is love. Then, I, then somehow I'm gone off base, and somehow I've lost, because I can't change who he is to make me comfortable. I have to move towards where he is. So again, some of you are there. Now, that's only part of the map. For some of you, it's, the, you know, this sloppy or this reactive, but for some of you, it's in a different place. In some ways, you struggle with the love of God, not because you don't hear that, but because you feel so unworthy of it, that your struggle with hearing that God is loved, is you don't feel lovable. You you, you you gaze, and it's like, I don't, I don't know if He could love me. <laughs> like, you know, I mean, I struggle. I, I don't even know if I like me, you know. It's like, I don't, I mean, and you have this, you know, struggle with your own identity, and struggle with where that is, and, and in many ways, you're allowing that struggle to flow off on God. That you believe that because you struggle with where you are, that somehow that that's keeping, you know, God's in the same place, and again, this really is kind of assuming that God's love is like human love, so let's go back to it. We, we talked about the different words a moment ago, right, and I said, okay, well, there's the different words. One of the ones that's so common that really defines most of human love is the Greek word phileo, and most of the way we would use the word love would be that, so we could say things like, I love coffee, <laughs> or I love chocolate, and I do, I love coffee, I love chocolate, but you know, what am I saying when I say that? I really, really, really like it. I, I, like, I, like, I like the way it tastes, I like, I, I like what it is, that it's found in the, the object that is there. And really, quite honestly, for most of us, when we think about love and, and the way that you love other people, can I just honestly, graciously tell you, you phileo them. You love people because you like them, He's like, you know, it's like, I like hanging around you. You're fun. You know, you, we have a good, you know, there's a, but it's, but you, you place that worth there. And because of that, things like this, when you find yourself feeling unworthy, you feel like, but I don't know if God would really be there. But I want to say it as carefully as I can, but as clear as I can, this is God and he loves you. I don't have any doubt about that. He loves the world. He so loved the world, he sent his son, John 3.16. But much more so, if you are a child of God, you are known as the beloved. You are known. Even our text says it. That's the first word in our text. You're the beloved of God. You are loved. And I want to tell you, nothing about who you are changes that. God knows everything about you. He knows everything you've ever done and he knows everything you're going to ever do. He knows everything you've ever thought and everything you'll ever think, and nothing you ever think will shock him. I don't know if you know this. I mean, I don't know if you can really grab this. You know, God isn't like you. I mean, our problem with part of our growth is we become shocked. Uh, for many Christians that their growth cycle, you know, comes as they step closer into knowing God. It exposes their brokenness, but the problem with that is we're disappointed. Like, I, I thought I was better than this, I thought I, was, I thought I would be better. I thought I would do better. And you're disappointed. And because you're disappointed, you think God is disappointed. He is not. And he loves you. I think about it. There was Taryn Wells wrote a song a, few, a couple years back, you know, that you are fully known. And you are fully loved. And I just want to tell you it's true. You are fully known. And you are fully loved. And, and you just need to recognize that if that lie has somehow gotten in there, that you feel unworthy, that somehow that keeps God from loving you, you're wrong. You've allowed your struggle to roll off on him. And I just want to tell you, if that's where you are, set your gaze and say, that's where I need to go. I need to go to a place where I see it, that God is love. It doesn't, that my struggle isn't his struggle. He loves, and and I want to get there. But hear me clearly. There's another problem. As most things in the Christian life, the extremes are there. There are some that have gone to the opposite extreme. Instead of feeling unworthy of love, they actually feel worthy of love. They actually kind of they sit there and think. And some have mistaken the love of God as if it was a statement of their worth. And it goes back to that flayo thing. We love that which we like. And so some have done with the love of God is they begin to think, well, if God loves me, then that must mean that I'm really valuable. You know, like I must be super special, you know? And he must, I mean, like I, you know, as if somehow God's love was speaking about your identity. Instead of his identity. But God's love isn't about you. God's love is about him. His love isn't a filetal love that's found in your person, it's found in his person. It's found that, that he, by his nature, is love, that he loves. And so I'm just telling you that for somebody here this, this morning, for you, you've gotten it all wrong, and it is this place because you get your focus on you. Now, here's the deal we probably all do at times. You know how it works, right? So someone takes a picture, you know, like you're in a group and they take a picture and then they pass the phone around for your approval, you know who you look at first. You know, you look at you like, okay, okay, yeah, my hair, no, take another, you know, you don't care about anybody else. You're not, you know, you're not looking at anybody because you see you. And sometimes that's how it is with God. Instead of saying, I'm not the one that I'm supposed to be looking at right now. This isn't about my worth, either feeling unworthy or feeling worthy. It's about an amazing God. It's about a God who, by His nature, by His very nature, is love. None of us are there, but in many ways, we need to route ourselves there. Now, again, these are oversimplifications. Some of you would say, well, I think I'm kind of between two of them. Yeah, you probably are. Some of you are like, well, Can I, like, move in the, like, I was at that one yesterday, and I'm at this one today. (laughs) I kind of keep going in a circle. Instead of moving back toward the source, I keep going from error to error. Probably true for some of us. But get it. Understand that all of them are errors. And just say, okay, you know, you you need to kind of have that, you know, thing that pops up on your phone. Like, rerouting. (laughs) Like, you turned on the wrong course again. Reroute. Head this direction. Head towards the love of God. Head to a place where you would recognize that this is who our God is, that love is of God and God is love. Like this is who he is. I wish I could say it better, but I can't. It's bigger than that. We already acknowledged it. We could spend our whole lifetime talking about the love of God and we still would not have gotten close to it. We've scratched it, but let's hold that there and then widen it out because this verse finds that as its source but it has a couple of other things that it's speaking about. So go back and notice it with me. Reading it there in verse 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God. For God is love. Everyone who is of God, everyone who is a Christian, everybody who has a relationship with God, walks in love. He says it's impossible for it to be any other way. Everyone, just understand everyone is everyone. I mean, it can't be like, he's not saying most, he's not saying the majority of those who are of God, you know, know something about this, he's just like everybody. If you're of God, if you have a relationship with God, this is present in your life. Why? Well, he tells us there, verse 7, making up in the middle of the verse. Everyone who loves is born of God. Yeah. If you are a Christian, you are born of God, or we would use the term also that Jesus used in John 3. You're born again. You're born again. Every Christian who becomes a Christian, who really is a Christian, it's of God that we've been brought into a relationship, and we're born in Him, and because it's of God, then the love of God has to be present. The logic is impeccable. I mean, honestly, it is. If, if God is love and you've been born of him, if you've been brought into life with him, then the love of God is present in your life. It cannot be any other way. If you're in him, if you know him, then that love has to be present. In fact, he not only says it's by being born of him, but again, there in verse seven, picking it up in the middle. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Like, if you know God, if you're in a relationship with Him and you know Him, which is the essence of what it is to be a believer, then you know love. You can't have a relationship with God and not know love because it's Him. So now let's say the same thing, but just say it in reverse, which is what He does in verse 8. doesn't add anything to what we just said. He just makes sure that we get it and clarifies. He who does not love does not know God because God is love. If you don't have the love of God in your life, then you're not a follower of Jesus. It just cannot be. Now, that is one of the key issues. I mean, it's really been one of the key issues in the book of First John. It has been that which we've already talked about so that we could define, okay, this is a real Christian and this is a fake Christian. This is somebody who really knows Jesus and this is someone who doesn't, and it's identifying this not to be mean or cruel, but if you're in this category, if you're in the category of being a church person, and and you come to church, and you think because you're here, and you hang around Christians, you're okay, but you haven't been born again, then what John is trying to do is just expose that, not to mock you, but so that you could be born again. So if this exposes you, then it's meant to say, hey, see who you are. Now, just so you're tracking with me, we've already talked about it a bunch of times. I'll put the verses up on the screen, but you can follow on screen or in the text, because it's stuff that we've already seen, but I just want you to see that we've seen it. So we go back to chapter two of 1 John He says, again, a new commandment, speaking about love, loving each other. I write to you, which thing is true in him and in you because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. That was kind of our Easter verse for those who are here with us. Next verse, he who says he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. He who loves his brother abides in the light and there is no cause for stumbling in him. He says, if you are living in hatred, the love of God's not in you. It's not there because you have to have it. If you're abiding in love, then there's confidence. There's no cause for stumbling. He goes on in, in verse 11, but he who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. I mean, just very, very clear. If that's where you are, that's who you are. Then he goes on in chapter three, verse one, and says, you know, behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called the children of God. I mean, this is crazy. We are drawn into this place where we are God's family, God's kids. It's incredibly wonderful. But then he tells us, in this, the children of God and the children of devil are made manifest. Here's how you can tell a child of God, and here's how you can see someone who's a child of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness, not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. Like, you don't have this love, And you're not, that's not who you are. It's not where this is. And he'll say it again. Verse 14, we know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He does not love his brother, abides in death. Like that's not present in you. It's not going to be there. It's not in the midst of it. And he'll go on one more time in verse 18 and says it. My little children, let us not love in word or tongue, but indeed in truth. And by this, we shall know that we are of the truth and to show our hearts before him. It's like, we need to love, not just talk about it, but we need to actually do it. That's what gives us confidence. That's what gives us confidence. That's how we know we're his. And so he's been driving at this reality, and yet it's the same thing that Jesus spoke. When Jesus was talking to the disciples, the night before he went to the cross, he said, by this, all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. He says, here's how it's gonna be defined. Here's how the world will know that you're really mine, and if I can, how you'll know because you have that. It's the love of God. It's the love of God that's meant to define us. It's the love of God that, that works this. And so again, we land that and say, okay, that's important for us. So if you're a follower of Jesus, you have this. There's not anybody who's a real born-again follower who hasn't experienced and come, been impacted by the love of God. There's not any of us that are doing it perfectly. More on that in a moment, but it's present. Well, you find this crazy thing. Like, I actually love God's people. I love people. And it's something that happens in this relationship with God, and it's glorious, and it's really, really good. But if you're here, and you don't have that, if you're one of those people, and again, I'm not trying to be mocking, and I'm not trying to be cruel, but I'm just being honest. If you're one of those people, it's like, well, can't I know God and hate people? You know, can't I just, you know, can't I just hate everybody and just have a relationship with God? I mean, isn't that, isn't that okay? No, it's not okay. You, you can't do it. Yeah, and if that's you, if you think you're okay and you have nothing of the love of God in your life, then what John is saying is, ha, ha, no, no. Because if you do not know love, you do not know God. Because to know God, to be born of him, connects you to the love of God. And it has to affect you. It can't not affect you. And so it needs to be there. And if that's you this morning, then what he's telling you is you need to get saved. Like you need to be born again. I mean, just because this is real. This changes us. We'll hold that. Because it, there's a few other thoughts that flow into that that are actually kind of struggles. Let's see if we can identify it. So, we, we've been watching this through. I'm going to kind of scoot that down to the bottom as well. So, we see, you know, love is of God. God is love. Everyone who loves is of God. But let's go back to the beginning of the verse. Verse seven. Did you notice how it says it? Beloved, let us love one another. Pause and just think about this. He's telling us, if you are loved, then we need to love. If you are loved, we need to love. Now, it's actually really, really beautiful the way it's stated in the original language, in the Greek language. And I recognize many of you don't speak Greek. Some of you might, might be able to recognize it, but there's almost no way to kind of translate it really, really well into the English language. It might just help to see it, so I'll put it up on the screen. This is the the first two words of the verse in verse seven there in the Greek language, where it's just agapitas, uh, agapemen. Two words, agapetos, agape man, and it's these two words that are just put there. And so, agapetos, which is this way of saying loved, uh, we, our translation says it's dearly loved, or we would say you are loved. If you are loved, then it puts it as a command: love, love other people, love God's people. And, and again, I, 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 to me, it's so so just powerful because it just doesn't work in the in the English language. If we were to try to get even close to it, we would say loved, love. I mean, but we can't. I mean, it leaves things out in the English language. So we have to say you're beloved or, or dearly loved. But the moment we do that, we almost lose the word love. It's like you're loved. Now love. If you have it, do it. If you are loved of God, If you're the beloved of God and God's love is at work in your life, then he gives it to us as a command. It flows out of this because those who are his, those who are the loved, which is Christians, you are dearly loved, he then gives it to us as a command. And again, it just, it flows so beautifully. And it's meant to be so connected. Because we're loved, we love. Because we're loved, we're meant to do that. And yet if you can hear this, if I'm making a tiny bit of sense, it's a command, It's not an automatic thing. He's telling us, you know, if you have it, do this intentionally. Now, think this through for a moment. There's no Christian who doesn't have it. There's no Christian. We already said that. If you're here this morning, you don't have any of the love of God, you're not his. But that doesn't mean it's fully present. That doesn't mean it's as strongly stated or being expressed as it ought to be expressed. And so that's why he's now giving it to you as a command. Yes, you have it. Yes, you have the love of God, but don't be satisfied with where it is. Grow in that space so that the love that is present becomes more pronounced. So the love that you have flows more. Paul would say the same thing. It says in Thessalonians this way. It says, but concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. And indeed you do so toward all the brethren who are in all Macedonia. He's writing there to the Thessalonians, but we could say the same. Hey, if you're a child of God, I don't need to tell you to love. You already do it. God has taught you. God has poured his love inside of you. That is true, and it's already being expressed in some ways. Nevertheless, we urge you, brethren, that you increase more and more. Yeah, you have it. Do it more. Yeah, you have it. Grow in it. Yes, the love of God is there, but don't be satisfied with it because this is powerful. This is the love of God. It should now become something that you're doing purposefully. Peter would say the same thing in his letter. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit in sincere love of the brethren, then he gives it as a command, love one another fervently with a pure heart. Yes, you're his. If you're his, you have been, you've obeyed the truth. And by the power of the spirit, you've been brought into this authentic, sincere love. It's yours. (laughs) Nobody who's a child of God doesn't have it. But you need to do it more. You need to grow, you need to now love fervently, you need to to, to love intentionally, like that is a command. That's where this is flowing, where he's telling us, hey, this is what you need to do. It's so definitive, it's so important that it be there, that we, as those who are loved by God, now love. That's actually really how the text begins, right? So in some ways, that's the main thing that he's saying, hey, this is what we're supposed to be doing. I mean, this is who our God is. Our God is love. We should be loving. That's how this is actually supposed to flow, but it's right here that if I'm not really clear and you don't catch it, it's going to go wrong. If you leave here thinking, okay, well, I'll just go work a little harder. Okay. Okay. I'll go and do that. You know, I'll go and be loving. That's whatever I'm supposed to do. I'm going to tell you, you can go out and you could phileo and you could storge, but you can't agape. And God is not asking you to. If you hear this wrong this morning, you will think that this is something you need to accomplish in your own strength. But I've already told you, you can. not The only place that love can really be found is in him. He is the only source of it. So the only way that we can have this love is to find this love in Him. In fact, the idea is found in the word know. In the word know, it's found in our text. It's used a couple of times, but it's a very specific word in the Greek language that speaks of experiential knowledge, not knowledge that can be book-learned, but knowledge that must be experienced. So let's read it that way. Go back and follow it in verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone who loves is born, born again of God and experientially knows God. Like you experience his love. Like you're walk, you're experiencing what that is. He who does not love does not experience God's love. Like you've not, you're, you're, not, you're not entering into that. You're not knowing God's love experientially, because that's who our God is. He himself is the source of it. So the only space it can be found is in knowing him. The only way that we can either both know that love and then both experience it and then show it is in that relationship with him. So not an original phrase with me, but it might just land for somebody else. The closer you get to this, you would understand that to show the love of God, it's more measles than math. It's more measles than math. You guys get it, right? I mean, just think about it for a moment. So let's say you want to share the measles. Now, like, nobody's actually like, I just wanted to share the measles. But let's just say you did. How do you do that? Do you you just go out and try? I'm just going to go out and be like, measles, 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 measles. I mean, you could try, but it ain't going to work. The only way you're going to become contagious is be exposed. The only way that you're going to be able to share it is to get it is to go into God's presence and say, God, I need it. I need to know you. I need to know your love. And then as I'm now getting this experience of God's love, it's now flowing out of my experience with God. It's not math. Math you could learn in a textbook. Math you you could learn in a class. Math you could learn from me teaching it to you. But I can't give you this. I can point you to it. I can say, I'm telling you where it's found. I'm giving you the directions. I'm setting you the map. I'm telling you, you need him. You need to know God. You need to press into this relationship with him because if you know him, you will know love. It cannot be found anywhere else. It must be found in this relationship with him. And then the more you know him, the more loving you'll be. So if you find yourself thinking, well, I want to be more loving. Well, then I need more of God. I need to know him better. I need need to experience him more. I need to press into this relationship so that that defines me, so that his love begins to flow out of me no longer as me, but it's the fruit of the Holy Spirit that is love. It's this river that's flowing out of this relationship that I have with him. It's him working the love that he's poured into me. Let me try it two different ways and see if it lands in another space. One of the verses that I really enjoy, and it's a part of my prayer life quite often, probably weekly, is Psalm 143, verse 8, and the psalmist just simply says it this way, cause me to hear your loving kindness in the morning, for in you do I trust. If this is helpful for somebody, then maybe you'll make it part of your prayer, because I like this. It's a daily kind of request. It's like, show me in the morning, and the idea is like, show me every morning, And he says, "God, I just need need to see your love. I need to know your loving kindness." But for whatever reason, the word "cause" is one of my favorite parts of it. It's as if coming to God is like, "Lord, cause me." And and when I say it, here's what I mean by it: I'm not I'm not doubting that He's loving. I'm not asking Him to be something other than what He is. I'm just admitting, God, sometimes I can be slow-headed, slow of heart, and I can be thick-headed, and I it could just God break through. Tear down whatever is holding you back from me knowing you. Like, God, I need to know your love. I trust you, God. But I I need this experience of of, of being in your presence. I need to know you. And so for me, it's this cause. I just like that. I I love that there is this place of just saying, God, I I need this. I need to know this. And and because that's the only way that's going to be found. I'm not going to find it any other space. That's helpful. And it's just helpful to recognize that we need that. And so if that lands for you, great. But let me come at it from a different direction. So Paul gives us this amazing thought in Romans 5, where he simply says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we also have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God one sentence. Um, So it's a packed sentence. It's just amazing. Like, here's who you are. Like, if you're a follower of Jesus, you have peace with God and you have standing in grace. You have this grace standing where we have access and we stand and we rejoice. All this is true. It's our position. It's our standing in Christ. But then he says, but not only that, not only are you right with God, not only do you have peace with God right now, here's what happens with that, we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance, character, and character, hope. So now on top of this standing that we have with God, here's what we know. When life is hard, that's the idea. When, when, when tribulation happens, when problems happens, that's going to create perseverance or patience or waiting, and that's doing character, and that's going to give us hope. That's going to give us hope. But hold that. So we're talking about going through difficult moments, and then he says it this way in the next verse. Now, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. He so says, here's the way we go through that. So we go through some difficult spaces, and what needs to secure us and what can secure us is this hope that we find in him that we find ourselves loved of God because it's the Holy Spirit that's pouring that out into us, and that accentuates, that, that strengthens the hope. This is beautiful, but let's just be honest. For some of you, for some of us, that's actually not what's happening. We somehow go to the other way. Here's how it works for for people in first service. You guys are good, but this is first service. Um, In first service, part of their struggle was when things are bad, instead of embracing the love of God, they question it. So instead of saying, hey, it's really, really hard. Does God love me? I don't don't know if I feel loved. It's really a hard space. And that's a, a lie. What Paul is telling us is in those hard spaces, if you'll step towards God in the Holy Spirit, he'll pour out his love in you. That has nothing to do with feeling like life is going really, really well. Sometimes it's going really, really stinky. But it's right there. It's right there that you're saying it's the love of God. This is, this is where it's found. And so what carries me through, what gives me hope, what strengthens my hope is that I am loved and in spite of how life is going, in spite of how some of these things are going, it's God, the experience of his love that isn't based on my circumstances, that isn't based because I like how life is going, because that would be phileo. Like, I, I really like how God's treating me right now. I really like that. He's I was like, I didn't have anything to do with it. I love, he loves me, and, and, and his love is meeting me, and that's transformative. See, I want you to understand that there's an experience of him that isn't based in anything else, it's based in him, and that's what he's inviting you and I to. So that's what he's laid out in our text here this morning. He's given us this, these huge thoughts that, hey, love is of God, and God is love, and if you, everybody who's a follower of Jesus, you have this, but if you have it, do it more. Dive into it more, because it defines us. It defines us. Jesus said that's how everybody's going to know. I mean, the thing that's going to shine in this world is that this would be there present in our lives. So this is what we need. Let's close there. You can close your Bibles, and we're going to take a few moments, and we're just going to go before God, and I'm going to ask for this, and I don't know where it's going to land with you. Again, if this is one of those map things, like I said, sometimes you, sometimes just need to figure out where you are. You might really recognize you're not on the map at all, that you don't know anything of the love of God. You don't love people. You don't love God's people. It's a good thing to recognize because you need to get saved. And today you can. Cry out to Jesus to to, to draw you to him, that you would be born again, that you would be born of his love. And we're gonna give you space in this quiet space. That might be yours to pray. But for most of you, you are his. But you're at a distance from this. I don't know where you are with it. But I want you to map your way there. I want you to say, God, this is where I am. I, I see where I need to go. But what I need, what you need, is him. What we need is him. We don't need circumstances. We need him. We, we don't need, you know, to have more knowledge. We need him. We need to press into knowing him and, and in his presence. And knowing him is where love is found. So I just want you to cry out for that. Wherever it's met you that you would be able just to ask him, to draw you into that love, that, that it would be there. So quietly, would you take a moment, pray, and wherever you are, ask him to do that. I'll do the same thing. Take a quiet moment to pray, and then we'll come back and close and worship together in just a moment. So let's take that moment and pray. Father, right now I want to pray for the one who recognizes this morning that they're not yours because they don't know anything about love. And you're really clear, the one that doesn't know love doesn't know you. God, for these that are in that space, would you draw them? Would you save them? Would you draw them to Christ? That they would believe upon you and that they would be born again? It wouldn't be a church experience it wouldn't be just belonging or being in the group it would be a real relationship with you and I cry out that you would bring them to you that you would draw them to you today and effectively save thank you that you do that and I'm asking for that that those that don't know you but then for those of us who do Lord you know that we are far from what we really need to understand here in who you are but you are love it is who you are. It is, it is what you are. You're In your nature, you are. And, and God, we need to know you. I ask that you draw us to you. That you'd route us, as it were, from where we are right now, towards you. Towards knowing you for who you are. Experientially, knowing your love. So I pray it in the words of Psalm 143. Cause me. Cause me, Lord, break through my hardness. I'm not doubting you. I know your love. Oh, and I just need need you to break through so it's not just something I can read on a page, but something that I know. Cause us to know your love. Cause us to know that we're loved. Lord, work that in us. Pour it out in us by the Spirit and then pour it through us so that not only is it something we know, but those around us are seeing it. You said the world would know that we're yours because of this. Because the love of God is something altogether unworldly, is happening inside of us. Do that, cause us to be seen and known by Your love. We ask for it together right now, in Jesus' name. Amen.